The first symptoms of the illness that would take John's life were seen in early December 1826. He gradually became more debilitated, eventually becoming unable to write letters. On December 14, he began writing what would be the last letter he wrote to one of his friends. He set the letter aside and did not finish it until December 25, by which time the seriousness of his condition was becoming clear to everyone. This letter was written to Henry Crake, a close friend from St. Andrews. Like Urquhart, he had come to St. Andrews as a gifted scholar. But also like Urquhart, he had come as an unbeliever. Although Henry was a few years older than John, he was attracted by John's Christian faith and godly character, and they began to spend time together. Of the 1824-25 school year, Crake wrote, This session I became acquainted with Urquhart, and my mind and heart were very gradually changed. Lack of companions, lowness of spirits, finding relief in such society and friendship as Urquhart's, and especially attracted by the loveliness of his character. Their friendship deepened with time, and in February 1826, Craig recorded his dread of Urquhart's coming departure from school. There's one friend with whom I now enjoy very little time. This is my dear and most valued friend, Urquhart, one with whom I spend a very great portion of my time. Last winter, and whose departure from among us I have thought of with feelings of the most poignant distress. I shall never cease to admire and love him as one of the most splendid examples of the effects of genuine Christianity, and I'm truly thankful to him, still, for the good I derived from his friendship last year. In a few weeks at the longest, John Urquhart and I shall part in this world forever, and I cannot think on this parting without feelings of very tender emotion, and without asking myself, why don't I cultivate more the society of one to whom my heart is so truly devoted? At his last parting from John on May 29th, he wrote, May this friendship, begun amid the casualties of time, find its continuance and highest perfection amid the stabilities of eternity. And now, John's last letter to Henry. Tenexide, December 14, 1826. I have to thank you, my dear brother, for two affectionate letters since I wrote last. Your last was a letter of mourning, and yet it refreshed me much and comforted me. It was just a day or two later that I had a letter from our dear friend Tate, breathing the same strain of lament for worldliness, and panting after a closer walk with God. We are all one family, my brother, and what wonder that the feelings of our hearts are one, while we are banished from our home and wandering amid dangers, fighting with powerful enemies and surrounded by strangers who do not know us, or who know us only to hate us. But let us take courage. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. It is not always by light and faith and joy that the Lord answers prayer for spirituality of mind. There is a great truth in that hymn of Newton's. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue your worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free, and break thy schemes of earthly joy, that you may seek your all in me. Why does God leave us so long in a world of sin? Why were his ancient people forty years in traveling through the wilderness? 
Why are we exposed to so many temptations? It is because he will not only deliver us, but will show us the horror of that state from which we have been delivered. And the more we know of our own vileness, shall not our praise be the louder when we join in that glorious anthem unto him that loved us? I have been a mourner too. New circumstances have resented new temptations, and the Lord has shown me my utter weakness. Once I thought my heart could not be viler than I knew it to be. But God has led me, as he did his prophet of old, from one scene of iniquity to another. And when I have thought that now I have seen all, he has opened some secret place within me, and shown me greater abominations still. Nor am I sure that I know yet the depths of iniquity that are within me. How easy to pass among men as pious and holy. They compare themselves among themselves. Brother, you talk about passing the Rubicon. The river of death is the Rubicon. Not till we have passed it shall we be completely freed from the world and its cares. I say this because I remember feeling as I think you do. I thought if I decidedly gave up the hope of worldly honor and comfort by choosing the missionary life, I would no longer be harassed by the cares or allured by the vanities of earth. But it's not the case. To think much of the Savior is the only way to be made like him. I very much like your plan regarding Ireland. I do think your talents, and also those of our friend Brown, are quite fit for it. It has been urged much upon me, but you know well I am not the person for such a place. You asked me concerning my plans. I have no plans at present. If Colonel Moreland goes to Edinburgh in April, I may probably stay a little longer with him. Some information I got today has distressed me a good deal, as it makes me fear that I shall never be fit for a warm climate. I have been drooping and sickly for some weeks. Today the doctor has come from Glasgow, and pronounces my illness an affection of the liver. He thinks there is no inflammation, and that a course of medicine will remove this attack. I am able to go about, though not very fit for study, and have merely a slight pain, like rheumatism, in my arm and side. Rentoul, Alexander, Duff, and Trail are in St. Andrews. From John Adam, I have not heard since I wrote you. My meeting here is confined to young people, 13 or 14 attend. There's no village. They come from scattered cottages. Of course, I do not preach. I talk to them. My meeting with them always refreshes and invigorates me. We go perhaps to Dysart at Christmas. I may perhaps have an opportunity of visiting St. Andrews. John finished his letter on Christmas Day. This is Christmas Day, and it is well for me that the family have not moved. John Adam has written me lately. He is well, and goes on with his plan of preaching occasionally. The other part of this letter was written a considerable time ago, but I thought it better, since I had mentioned my illness, not to mail it till I should see what the issue might be. Decided symptoms of inflammation soon appeared, but I am glad to say that the Lord has blessed the means employed to remove the disease. At least we think so at present. You must excuse me for not writing more. I am excessively weak. I've eaten very little, and have been allowed to eat nothing nourishing for some time. Add to this that I have had a good deal of medicine and a blister on my side, and you will not wonder that I am much reduced. I can add no more at present, but that I am ever your friend and brother in the strongest bonds. Craig did not learn of John's death for over two weeks. Upon receiving the shattering news, he recorded his thoughts in his journal. This Sunday morning received two letters, one from Mr. Moncrief announcing the death of John Urquhart, my dearest friend, 
and the severest loss I have ever experienced, except that of my dearest sister, Isabella. May God comfort me, for vain is the help of man. Monday I gave to writing home on account of my afflicted state to my dear father and mother. Tuesday was spent in writing to my dear Moncrief, and on this Wednesday morning, I can scarcely say that I feel the blow any lighter. About two years ago, when in a state of extreme depression and incapable of enjoying study or society, John Urquhart, with the tenderest compassion, ministered to my sorrows. Then I was unreasonably and sinfully attached to him, depending too much upon him for my hope. And often in perfect sincerity have I felt that I could die for him. Since that period, he has continued ever my most faithful friend. John Urquhart is in his grave. Would to God that I had sat by his bedside and listened to his last words of tender advice. Now indeed days of darkness have come upon me, and I pray that thus I may be led to be fit for my own departure. I wrote him a long letter on Thursday, sent it off with a light heart, and expected a speedy reply. By the time the letter was written, the noble spirit of my friend was enjoying the communion of the saints. It seems as if no earthly provision could make up in any measure for the blessing I have lost. David, in Psalm 25, well expresses my heart when I first heard the dreadful tidings. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. In time, God did bring other friends into Henry's life to ease the pain of his loss. In 1829, two years after John's death, Craik met another man his age and of a similar academic background. His name was George Mueller, and for 36 years these men would remain close friends and fellow workers in the harvest fields. Following Craik's own death in 1866, George Mueller wrote, We remained laboring in the word in the same locality in Devonshire for about two years and three months, and then in a very marked way were both led at the same time to Bristol, where we have labored together for more than 33 years. Who knows how different Mueller's ministry would have been without the friendship of Craig? Yet Craig's path of godliness began through the life of John Urquhart. May we all aspire to a similar life of godliness and devotion. We cannot know how far into the future our little lives may reach.